Well, today is uh, December 25th, 2016. Uh, we are so honored to have you here on Christmas morning. Uh, it's not often that we get an actual Christmas morning and to be together in church. Uh, the title of today's message is Christmas Conspiracies. Christmas Conspiracies. Don't worry, it's going to be all right. Everybody just it, be relaxed. It's going to be all right. Um, turn to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. And we're going to start in verse 11. I, I'm giddy like a little school kid right now because it's, you know, usually Christmas morning, the kids wake up and they come and, you know, they wake you up or whatever morning that you're celebrating Christmas, they can't wait. They're coming down the stairs. They're coming in your bedroom, waking you up as parents before the, before the first break of day has come. I feel the same way with you guys this morning. I just, I'm excited to be here with you, uh, here with family and friends, and um, I think today is going to be a special day for us. Amen? Amen. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 11 says this. It says, The Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me. Come on. Don't you like it when somebody's got a good word for you, and they come alongside of you, and they have the strong hand upon you? It reminds me of Elder Baj, actually. He'll come along and he'll set that manly hand upon your shoulder and start talking to you. What do you want to do? You want to pay attention to every word he says, right? Because he's coming alongside of you. He spoke to me with his strong hand upon me. In this case, it's the Lord of all creation speaking to Isaiah, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Everybody say, this people. people. We are part of this people. Amen. They're the people that you're around. You said you've got to be careful not to follow the way of this people. And if the Lord is standing there speaking to him with a strong hand upon him, it, it, it makes sense for him and us to pay attention. Look at verse 12. Do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. Um, we know this in our world and in our day and time. This is how things are sold. Where things are sold in our country with fear. If you watch the news in the evening, it's one tragic thing followed by another tragic thing. And every once in a while, they have to show you just a tiny bit of good news or it's just completely depressing and you never want to watch it, right? They have to show the little, the little vignette on puppies because you're just like, this is too, it's too much. The Word is always telling us, hey, don't fear what they fear. Don't dread what they dread. Look at the next verse. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard. Everybody say regard. regard. <clears throat> You're supposed to regard as holy. Amen. You're supposed to set him apart as something entirely different. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. What an interesting topic, right? We know that in the next chapter, we're going to get to Isaiah 9. Many of you may have been anticipating me starting off in Isaiah 9 today. But I wanted to start off in chapter 8 to let you know the context before we get to chapter 9. The Lord is speaking to Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet. He was about 700 B.C. And so he is speaking these words to us and that we still uh, run back to in, in our day and time. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one that you are to dread. Let's keep reading. And he will be a sanctuary. Everybody say sanctuary. A sanctuary, a place of, of solace, a, pla- a place of peace a place of holiness, both for, but for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Verse 16, bind up the testimony and seal 
up the law among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. It's interesting that this has got some, some angst in this conversation. It's bringing out, hey, be careful what you're fearing. Only fear the Lord. Fear him only. If you're going to have dread, it should be of the Lord, not of the circumstances around you. You know, as I was thinking of, of Christmas conspiracies, um, we're going to start on some of these pictures. I like to put up just, just a quick thought of a Christmas conspiracy, right? <laughs> this is a, a picture of Santa Claus, um, probably from the 1930s, I'm guessing. Um, Coca-Cola uh, kind of revamped, and they did an ad campaign starting with Santa Claus uh, in the 30s especially. The picture that we often think of about Santa Claus, at least in our country, is... This one right here is a very popular one. Um, I, I wanted to, here's another kind of uh, traditional one. Over, over the years, he's, he's done many things. Santa Claus has. In this case, he's got reindeer that, that fly magically around the world. Um, this, one, <laughs> this one is an interesting one. This is a, a, a German. Uh, we have so many nations represented in our church. We've got folks from South America, Central America, Africa, um, all over the world, Egypt, Switzerland, uh, just so many, so many folks that are just common. Serbia, that we thought we'd show you a few. Here's uh, one from France. Thought that one was kind of funny. Here, <coughs> Here's an interesting one, right? Uh, there in the Holy Land uh, on the camel. Um, I'm not advocating violence. I just thought that was an interesting picture uh, there. This one is more of a uh, Russian um, Baltic look with a, with a blue, the Santa in blue. Um, this one's from Ireland. The, these, are just, these are just pictures that we have, folks, pictures that we have. Um, Mexico, right? So since, since, we, since we have, uh, since we have uh, a team in Mexico, I thought I'd do this. This next one I kind of like a lot. We'll go ahead and do the next one. Um, this is a hipster Santa for uh, any of you guys who understand what hipsters are. Uh, I won't explain it because if you don't know it, then you don't know it. Um, yeah, I don't know what the, I don't know what happened to this guy. Uh, this 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 is actually this is this is actually one that we found um, you know in in the Persia area in Turkey it was actually uh, where this guy was from. Well, <clears throat> before you put on, up before you put up the next ones. We'll back up just a little bit. Um, I, I just thought it would be fun kind of start off with some pictures, uh, you know, pardon the, pardon the humor from around the world, right? We have a lot of different images. We have a lot of different pictures. Um, the truth is, is one of the few things, uh, it's interesting, um, for those of us who did CARES and you have different CARES events in your communities, <clears throat> they had a, most communities have a lot of restrictions on what you can and cannot do around Christmas time. We're trying to be <clears throat> where you don't offend folks of different nationalities. But the one thing that typically is not forbidden is Santa Claus, which is an interesting thing because actually Santa may be the most, uh, one of the more Christian things about, about actual Christmas. Um, Santa, St. Nicholas started out and he was a, in the 300s. He was actually a man, a real man. Uh, he became a bishop of Myra, Turkey. He was actually a bishop there. And uh, what his story did was it grew. Maybe some of you guys know this, but the original story of Nicholas began, uh, he came from a wealthy family. He inherited a, a great deal of wealth from his family. He heard in the town where he was living in Myra, Turkey, down in the southern part of Turkey, that there was a man who had three daughters. 
and they did not have enough money. The man didn't have money to give a dowry to his daughter, so he was close to the edge of selling his daughters into slavery. Uh, again, in the 300s A.D. And so Nicholas heard about it, and he actually came along and took some of the wealth that he had, and one night he gave a bag of gold coins and tossed it in the window of the man's home for his oldest daughter. The next night he came along and tossed the second bag of gold, uh, of coins, of wealth, whatever it was, into the home for the second daughter. And the third night, depending on the version of the story that you're familiar with, he came in and gave another one. Some say that on the third night, for whatever reason, the window was closed. And so he decided to climb up on the roof and he dropped it down the chimney that, wasn't, that didn't have a fire lit in it. Well, you can see that in the 300s how this actual man actually did and gave, uh, gave from an abundance of his heart. And it's incredible that over time, over 700 years, over 1,000 years, now close to 1,700 years, an act of generosity by one godly man has been uh, taken and means very different things to very different parts of the world. As he comes along, uh, we actually see the truth is, is Nicholas was thrown in jail. He was uh, abused because he was such a believer in the actual word of God. It is thought that he was there at the early councils of, that set a lot of precedent for the Bible uh, for Christians that coming forward for many, many years to come. Um, if you'll put the one with the, with the multiple pictures on there. <clears throat> so here are some more traditional iconography of, of Nicholas. And through the years, again, he was there in Myra uh, in, the, in about 1000 A.D., Folks came and they actually stole his bones from there and they put it in a place called Bari, Italy. Um, along that path, they wanted to have excuses for people to come in and visit their town. So Verona had the bones of St. Mark. So Bari, Italy thought, well, we'll have the bones of St. Nicholas. And so they literally came and stole the bones there and brought it into Italy. And that's where, that's where uh, his bones are today. But these are some traditional pictures. Maybe some of you guys are familiar with them. Um, if you'll go ahead one more slide now, Joy. So this is actually uh, a doctor by the name of Carolyn Wilkinson and the University of uh, Manchester in England took the bones from that sepulcher. They were redoing things in the 1950s in Italy and they measured it. They had very, very specific details, took pictures of it. And this is the latest rendering from based on science, the closest thing that they can think of um, through this reconstructive 3D reconstruction that she did, Dr. Wilkinson did, this is probably actually what St. Nicholas looked like back in the 300s. <clears throat> I, was, I was impressed because I thought his beard was only second to Baja's beard. Um, I, I, I thought that he was trying to catch up with Baj there. One of the things that I want you to notice, though, um, as, as I was studying about this this week, Dr. Wilkinson was really uh, focused on a particular part of this. <clears throat> right between his eyes, there's a, there's a break in his nose. There's a little bit of a... You saw in the other drawings that his nose was very, very slender. Um, this is, is more representative. And actually, if you can see it, you can see a little bit of a, a, a distortion in the bridge of his nose from where it was broken. And she was fascinated by that. She only had the bones to look at and, and she was doing things and causing the computer image to come about. Well... What she didn't know at the time is as you study it out, uh, Nicholas had actually been thrown in jail for his faith. He had been beaten because he stood for what Jesus Christ was actually about. And so it's interesting that 
he bears the mark even on this representation of a nose that was marked as one who stood the test. Um, <laughs> it's, I'm not trying to advocate for us worshiping Nicholas. What I'm trying to do is say that there are some interesting things that are afoot. A man who so, was so generous in the 300s that we actually still talk about. Now it's legend. Now it's lore. Uh, even studying about him, it's hard to tell what was truth and what just became part of a, of a grander story. But it's really an interesting thing here. Um, but we're not here to talk about Nicholas today. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Amen. Should be right close to that. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Are you there? there? Verse 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Uh, obviously, on a Christmas day, we can't, we can't hardly think about Christmas without thinking about a passage like this. As we go to, back to verse 6 on the screen, I want to show you a few things. For to us, a child is born. It's amazing. 700 years before Jesus Christ was born, we get prophecies beginning about this Savior that is to come. And, and, and the prophecies really extend much further back than that. Um, I want to turn back real quickly. I will, I will just turn here and read it to you out of Genesis chapter 3. You can keep your place there because we're going to come right back. And verse 15, it says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He, being the offspring of Eve, of the woman, will crush your head and you will strike its heel. This is actually God speaking to the serpent, speaking to him and saying, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is really the first prophecy all the way back in Genesis written about Jesus Christ who is to come. It's an, it's an incredible thing here that even at the beginning of the story, we start seeing glimpses of the importance of Jesus Christ and his timing to come on this planet. It was from, actually the word clearly tells us that even before time began, Jesus Christ was chosen. There was a plan that started uh, before we could see any of it. Before time began in the garden, before time began, God had a plan for Jesus Christ to come to earth and to save us from our sins. That has got to be one of the most encouraging things to me. It's not like God waited until he saw Adam and Eve sin and make a mistake and then decided, well, I guess I better get a plan together now. In his foreknowledge, what God did was before the foundation of the world, he had this particular lamb, this particular man to come, be born of a virgin, raised in a perfect life, die a sinless death, resurrected in full power. This is what God's plan was from the beginning of time. Back in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born. He didn't ask him to come down straight from the heavens. He actually caused a child to be born. What kind of God does that? A God who comes and says, you know what? I'm going to come from the most powerful thing that is. And I'm going to let you take on 
and actually be a small baby wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. This is the plan. Here's your plan to take over the world, right? Here's where we're going to do it. Okay, first you start with a baby. That, that, that doesn't make any sense to a natural mind. And yet this is the wisdom of God saying, hey, I'm going to do this in a way that will get glory. But look at the next phrase. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. <laughs> what an incredible thought. A child is born. Amen. If you've ever had children, you understand what a precious gift they are. They may not always feel that way when they're crying or upset. You have to remind yourself sometimes that they're a precious gift, that they could be difficult, but they're a gift. But here's what God does. He says, a child is going to be born, but it's a son that's given to you. I've given my son for you. And the government will be on his shoulders. Uh, the word for government here, in the Hebrew language, the word government is only, this specific word for government is only used in Isaiah 9, 6 and Isaiah 9, 7. So nowhere else in the Bible except for this one passage of Scripture, is this idea of this kind of government. There are plenty of governments that the Bible talks about. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, the empire, the worldwide leadership of our king. I was, I was kidding around with the Christmas conspiracies, right? I don't wanna, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on negative things today because you're here on Christmas. And I'm very thankful for that. <clears throat> That idea, and you, you listen to a lot of talk, you read a lot of things, and the idea, one of the conspiracy theories out there is that there, this one world government that is, that is trying to take over, and, and people think the UN, and people think a lot of different things. I'm not here to talk about that, except for the fact that I'm here to tell you there is a one world government that's coming. <laughs> Ultimately, it's this government that we're all longing for. Amen. A righteous king who will stand and judge rightly every man Every woman, every child that is on the planet, he who sees the heart of all will come and make righteous judgments. He will rule with an iron scepter. He will rule with truth and justice. The government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Is he not wonderful? Our counselor, the one who leads us and gives us and tells us what we should do. Mighty God, Everlasting Father. The mighty God there is Gibor El. Gibor El, a mighty God, one who will fight for us, our everlasting Father, this eternal Ab, the Prince of Peace or the Prince of Shalom, the one who sets our lives in right perspective. Not just peace as in a lack of conflict, but one who has peace because he set us rightly. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. When the Lord starts putting things in order, he continues to put it in order until all in all is done. He will reign on David's throne. It's interesting here in verse 7, on David's throne that is established here. We're in 700 B.C. And he's already talking not only that he'll come as a child, not only that he will do these things, but that he will come from David's throne. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 1. Everybody turn to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. says this, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I know many of you here are, are uh, Bible scholars in the making. 
but it's an interesting thought when you speak to those who aren't, haven't been raised in the church or haven't understood the idea of starting off your newer testament of your Bible, the, the holy writ, and starting off with a long line of who was the father of whom is an interesting way to start things. But if you understand that prophecies, many prophecies had come forth about Jesus coming from the line of David. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And just read with me for a few verses here. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. Amenadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. These should be... uh, if you're familiar with, with how much our church loves the Older Testament, these are, should all be familiar names to you. Whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Now, I only read 14 generations there. That's where we'll stop for reading this. But as you continue on through, these names should all mean something to you. You should see them and understand that this is the entirety of the Bible. When you're reading the Older Testament, you find out the story of each one of these men, of each one of their families. And as you see, it's an incredible thing. Take, take a look at verse 17. Turn to verse 17 in the same chapter. Thus, there were 14 generations. Everybody say 14. 14, 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the exile to Babylon. And 14 from the exile to the Christ. Now, it's nice and convenient because in Matthew, they're looking back over the scope of time, right? And you're getting 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David until they go into the exile, and then 14 from the exile to Christ. Um, it's almost as if God has a plan. These are, not, these are not things that are done by chance. These are not the workings of men to try to formulate them into a box, into a preconceived idea. This is the record of history that shows these things. Take a look. We're going we're gonna to hold our place there and we're going to come back in just a moment. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. We're talking about the family of Jesus. 11.1 1 says this. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1. says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. <laughs> A root, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch that will bear fruit. This is speaking of this line of Jesse through King David. Let's turn to Genesis 49 while you're with me, just looking around. Let's take, look at Genesis 49. This passage should mean something to the, uh, to the Moloch family. Genesis 49 and verse 10. The scepter will not depart from Judah. Everybody say Judah. Judah. Nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs. You should have a note in your Bible on that little phrase there. Until he comes to whom it belongs. Down at the bottom of my Bible it says, until Shiloh comes. That's actually why J.J. and Natalie named their little girl Shiloh. This is actually speaking of the Messiah. This is speaking of the one 
Um, it says, until Shiloh comes or until he comes to whom tribute belongs. These are all equal versions of interpreting this. The writers had to pick a version to write it down. The interpreters here. But these are all equal, equally valid that Shiloh, that the Messiah would come from the lion of the tribe of Judah. Turn back to Matthew. Just trying to lay some groundwork, right? We can all understand, and, and there are so many folks here uh, that, that you guys understand the meaning of Christmas. We understand, but I want to I build it uh, to show you something to get to a very specific point here in, in the next few minutes. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. So we've got tons of prophecies about uh, that are hundreds and thousands of years before he's born. What an incredible God that we have who, who predicts with pinpoint accuracy exactly what will happen. Not some weird thing that's close and you try to make it be and, and it was a vague prophecy. He's saying very specific things that are to come about. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, for those of you in the class on our Acts class, think about explaining that to your parents. No, really, I promise. We didn't do anything. I'm just pregnant. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's not how that works. That's not how that has ever worked in human history. The idea that we take this as part of our Christmas story and we kind of just go, well, yeah, it was a virgin birth. Um, that's, that's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty incredible thing that not only was there a virgin birth, but actually it was proclaimed that it would be that way. We'll keep reading. She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Well, of course he did. He thought one who was waiting for him was impure. Still a righteous man. He didn't want to embarrass her, but this is a real story. When he's looking at it, he doesn't yet know that the Lord has done this because never before and never again in human history has this ever happened. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. I'm so glad that we serve a God who speaks to us when we're awake, when we're asleep, when we're asking for him when we're not asking for it he will speak to us to illuminate his will in our lives but the lord um angel of the lord appeared to him in a dream and said joseph son of david do not be afraid to take mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the holy spirit she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name jesus because he will save his people from their sins look at this next verse all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. This is Isaiah, by the way, in chapter 7 and verse 14. The virgin will be with child. <laughs> How ludicrous is this, folks? I'm going to make a prophecy, right? If you're God, he's making a prophecy spoken through a man named Isaiah. And Isaiah says, a virgin will be with child. So I'm already setting this up to be completely impossible. We're not, not saying a woman will be with child. A virgin will be with a child and will give birth to a son. Uh, do you notice this? This same child, son, what we just read in Isaiah 9. That child will be born, a son is going to be given. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. If you don't get anything else out from today, Christmas is a very familiar story to all of us. It needs to sit upon your heart and upon your mind that the God of all creation has done everything that he's done so that he can be with us. 
He is not a God who is far off and cannot hear us. He's not a God who has deaf ears and will not be able to hear us with blind eyes where he cannot see us, with impeded arms where he cannot reach out to us and touch us. His design from the whole course of human history has been that God can come and be with us, that we can be with him. The problem has been the whole time that sin entered in, way back in Genesis, way back at the beginning of our story as a human race. And what sin does is it always separates us from God. So his plan enacted incredibly through a virgin named Mary to start off with a baby, a son given to us is so that he can be with us. When Joseph woke up, he did did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. You guys with me today? I know this story is familiar. As I was thinking through the law and the prophets and the writings to get a picture of how to come to you today and present a story that you've all heard a thousand times. To try to present a story to you that you are inundated with. And hopefully, if you're like my family, you, you read it to your kids. You, read, uh, you open up the Bible and read out a book of Luke. And you read to them a Christmas story or the book of Matthew. And you read part of the story to them. As I was thinking about this, I wanted to think about some of the earlier hidden prophecies. Some of these things that you have to just kind of look and dig around. Um, and I thought about Hannah. Hannah was a, was a woman who was crying out to God to be able to have children. She was barren. She cried out to God. She was finally granted a child. And look at the end of, verse, at the end of chapter 1. 1 Samuel 1 and verse 24 says this. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. A woman who desired a child from God and then turns around and gives him back so that he's raised in God's house all the days of his life. A woman that has a special God-given child who turns around and gives him back to serve in the house of the Lord. Read forward in 1 Samuel chapter 2. This is incredible, an incredible passage. But I want to focus in. Let's start in verse... um, Let's start in verse 9. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. You know what the word for anointed is there? It's Messiah. It's the word that is translated as Messiah, the anointed one. That Hannah is sitting here extolling the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for giving me this child. Thank you for allowing me to come and give this child back to you. And she begins to speak 
of the anointed one. She realizes that within her life that she is seeing and she is connected to what the Lord is doing. Let's take a look back in the New Testament in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 26. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. There it is again, that desire for the Lord to be with us. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Come on, isn't that all of our desire? That we'll have a statement said like that about us. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. What an interesting name. The Hebrew name for that is Yeshua. The one that that God Himself will bring salvation. His name means salvation. He will be great and He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give Him the throne of His father David. There's the lineage again. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Verse 34, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Listen to her response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Can you, can you uh, turn over to chapter 2 for me and take a look at verse 49? At this point, between Luke 1 and Luke 2, Jesus is now somewhere around 12 years old. We fast-forwarded the story. They're there at the temple for one of the feasts. Uh, The family leaves. They think that Jesus is in the big crowd that's traveling. Anybody ever forgot a kid anywhere? Anybody ever been the kid that was forgotten? (laughs) Forgot me? How did you forget me? I thought mom had you. Mom said, I thought dad had you. I thought you were with Uncle So-and-so. Ah! This happens, but they're in a caravan of people that leave and it takes their, they travel for a whole day. They realize that Jesus isn't anywhere in the family group that's with them. They turn back. They travel for a day to get back. And on the third day, they find Jesus there in the temple. Actually acting much like one of the rabbis would. Asking questions in the temple. Demonstrating his understanding of the word by the questions that he was asking. It's one thing in our culture to have an answer. Everybody wants to have the right answer. As a Jew, you understood that you show your knowledge by the questions that you ask. And as they finally come and find him, verse 49 of Luke 2 says this, Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Jesus was not scolding his parents. He said, didn't you understand? Don't you understand that like Hannah, when she gave Samuel to the Lord, that he had to be in his father's house? 
Don't you understand that, that these are parts of the prophecies that were about me as your child? An angel came and visited you and told you that I'm the, the son of the Most High. This is something special. Didn't you understand that this is what I should have been doing? Where else would you have expected him to be? He, of course he went to God's house. Of course he went to his father's house. Look at this next verse, verse 51. Uh, the next sentence, rather. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and favor with man. We have a man here who came as a baby. He was prophesied about hundreds and thousands of years before he came on the scene. He was prophesied to be born to a virgin, to be born in Bethlehem, to live in Nazareth. All these prophecies that are pinpoint accurate about what happened with Jesus Christ. Take a look in uh, Psalm 22. <clears throat> Psalm 22. And verse 1. Psalm 22, 1 says this. This is a psalm of King David. To the tune of the doe of the morning, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where does that show up? Shows up with Jesus on the cross, right? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 27. It's amazing <clears throat> that not only was Jesus' origin and his lineage prophesied about thousands of years ahead of time, hundreds of years ahead of time, from the beginning of time, but even words that he said were prophesied about him seven, eight hundred, nine hundred. 1,500 years before he came on the scene. Psalm, I'm sorry, Matthew 27 and starting in verse 45. It says this, From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. It's amazing. You can be somewhere, hear the God of all creation crying out and not understand what He's saying to you. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. <laughs> um, Pastor Wade, um, this is Christmas. Not Easter. I'm trying to paint a picture for you here of an entire life that was foretold. An entire life that the God of all creation cared enough about us to send. The very next verse here says, At that moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What an incredible, I guess the, the, the fullness of that story we have to get to at another time. But here what I want you to see is his lineage was prophesied about. His birth was prophesied about. It was ordained in the heavens. We know about the star that comes. The, men, the wise men from the east. How many wise men were there? Yeah, you don't know how many there were. We know that they had three gifts, right? right? There weren't, the Bible doesn't say there were three wise men. It just says wise men from the east. People who were learned and they were watching and they came. And they came and they brought gifts that ended up funding the very ministry of our Savior. Man, what an incredible place the wise men had. What an incredible place the shepherds had as they're coming. And, and in that moment, 
There was no room for them in the inn, probably because it was a large feast day. Right? Probably because it was a time when many, not only the census, but because there was a feast that was going on. They came and the angels appeared to them saying, Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Man, incredible parts of this story. We love sharing this with our kids. These are, we cannot lose the wonder of what happened to Jesus here. Um, just a little, I, I think most of us know, as this church, we're never going to tell you that Jesus was born on December 25th. I can pretty much assure you that he was not. I may not be able to tell you exactly which day he was born, but I can pretty much tell you he wasn't born in December. Amen. Wasn't born on December 25th. We all know that. The truth is, is my firm belief is that he would have had to have been born on the day of a large feast. One of the Jewish feasts. To think that any other day would make sense is it just... To me, it shows how non-Jewish we are if we think that he can be born on another day. But this is a day that was chosen to celebrate, so we're going to celebrate it. Amen? Amen. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 53 as we get ready to turn the corner and close here. Isaiah chapter 53. (coughs) Are you with me? Isaiah 53, 1. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? (laughs) To whom has the, the strength of the Lord been revealed? He grew up like before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. Remember Isaiah 11? We know that root and that shoot was from the line of Jesse. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Hey, folks, lest we forget, again, if we were going to create this plan, you know what you would do? You would put Jesus somewhere in our, day, our modern day and time where every news reporter, where every camera, where everything could have been focused on this guy. But apparently the Lord has this incredible plan that says not only is he going to be a baby, but once he does grow up, he's not going to be anything particular to look at. No beauty or majesty. Not... Not the perfect smile, not so attractive that people look at him as he enters the room. No beauty, no majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in the external realm that wants to make us follow him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. (laughs) This is not how, this is not the plan that I would have put in place. I would have made him the biggest, tallest, gigantic, huge, stand out in any crowd, perfect-looking human being so that everyone is attracted to him and wants to follow him. There's something that's different that's going on as God is saying, hey, I don't do things the way that you do. I have a very specific plan and I want to draw those who actually want to come to be with me. There's that desire. It can't be for those external things. Verse 3, unless you think that I'm, I'm making too much of this, look at verse 3. He was despised. Not only did he have no beauty, that's kind of a, that's a neutral thing. He, he didn't have something. Okay, well, he didn't have it. I can relate to that. He, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. What does it take for you to be familiar with something? You have to, you have to be around it a lot. Jesus was familiar with was suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. 
and we esteemed him not. Look at the next verse. Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. I'm so glad that Pastor Matt took time to pray for the sick today. Because that's the heart of Jesus Christ. He took our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. You guys understand that this relates to the cross, right? His death on the cross. Okay. Let's, let's pretend like you, haven't, you didn't know that for just a second. This is Isaiah in 700 B.C. Talking about a form of death that would not be around until the Romans, in, until the Romans took power in less than 100 A.D. He was 600 years ahead of the schedule. 700 years ahead of schedule calling for a type of death that he had never seen before. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. The punishment that brought us right alignment with God was put upon Him. By His wounds we are healed. This is great for us. Not great for Him. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. The idea that the reason that Jesus Christ came to the manger was so that he could have all of this, all of our struggle, all of our sin put upon his shoulders. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open up his mouth. <laughs> In Matthew 27, he's there being accused, and you know what it says? He opened not his mouth. How do, how do we do? Somebody accuses you, don't you want to set the record straight? Yes. I do every time. Well, Cody did this. Because he's like, no, I didn't. that wasn't me. That was somebody else. We want to set it right. Jesus showed here that he so trusted in the Father's plan that he could remain silent. Look at verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. It was the Lord's will to crush him. Why? Because the crushing needed to happen so that we could have a way to be with Him. After the suffering of His souls, He will see the light of life and be satisfied. By His knowledge, my righteous servants will justify many and He will bear their iniquities. Uh, turn to John chapter 1. Just a few more verses. Hang with me. John chapter 1. Verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Amen. We understand that the Word and Jesus Christ are the same. It's the same thing. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That's what I'm talking about. That the whole plan that God had was from the beginning. Through Him all things were made. With Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. We just read this in Isaiah 53. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And you continue to read on and you see this life, you see this light that He brings. Uh, turn to John chapter 8 on that subject. John chapter 8 and verse 12. <clears throat> when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. 
We can look back now and see how Jesus was connecting the dots between the Older Testament and the Newer Testament, between prophecy after prophecy. This is what I did. This is what was said about me. This is what I did. This is what was promised about me. This is what I fulfilled. This was what was said about me. This is what I have completed. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. Listen to this. Men of Israel, listen to this. (laughs) Yes, listen again. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by how? By miracles, wonders, and signs. It would have been enough had you known the history of what Jesus fulfilled for you to be Uh, and have enough to believe in Him just because of the Scripture. In addition to the prophecies that were fulfilled, the God of all creation said, I'm going to attest to this man by the miracles, the wonders, and signs which God did among you through Him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. These are the things that pierce these people's hearts and cause them to recognize what was going on. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. says this, How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? How shall we escape? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. How can we ignore such a great salvation? (laughs) What what an incredible thought. Revelation chapter 1. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. So we see in Genesis 3, right at the beginning of the book, we see that we're talking about Jesus. John 1 says, actually, in the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God. Let's take a look at Revelation chapter 1 and verse 12. It says this, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. You see that in quotes there? It's actually referencing back to Daniel chapter 9. I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. You can go back and Daniel sees basically the same vision. And he sees the one like a son of man that goes in and talks to the ancient of days. He goes in there and he talks to him and he receives the authority and the power. Now we see John seeing a very similar thing. Saw one dressed like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. You know, the reason I, one of the reasons I started off with Nicholas earlier was we all have a very... Uh, ingrained picture of what Nicholas looks like, right? And then when you actually see the picture of, a, of what, what the man really looked like, according to the best that science can do, 
taking his bone structure. They had to go back and they measured his bone structure. And they took pictures of it and they did it that way. They had to go back to the original to create this picture. What I'm trying to encourage us today is um, Jesus Christ is not the baby that's in the manger. The Jesus Christ that you will encounter today, when you look at Jesus Christ, this is the description that he possesses. He's not the man that is only that was stuck on a, on a cross. He has been resurrected from that. And this is who we're dealing with. We had to go back and get the actual bones of this matter. We had to go back and get it and let it sink into our bones that we can understand who we're talking about. And as we close, I'm going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Y'all still with me? 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's start in verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. Say there when you're there. there. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Oh, man, that's a good Christmas message, right? Be sympathetic. Yeah, good one. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Amen. These are exactly the things that we should do. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. But with blessing, someone insults you, you bless them in return. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Now, if I stop right there, then we can feel good and we can go home. Right? Christmas message. We got around to something that's nice. Don't be mean to each other. Be nice to each other. Play fair with each other. Don't be ugly. Right? Let's, let's continue on. I think all those things are, of course, true. But you can do those things and miss out on the heart of what actually Jesus Christ came to do. The Jesus Christ, what he came to do, uh, the eyes that blaze like fire, I don't think we need that guy to help us to just say to be compassionate, be nice to each other. He could have done it a lot of other ways if that was the end goal. Look at in verse 10. For whoever would love life and seek good days must keep his tongue from evil. And his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. If you've been through our marriage counseling, this should be ringing bells here. This is quoting directly. Peter's quoting directly from Psalm 34. Learn, uh, turn from evil, do good, seek peace, pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It's not enough to be nice. We must understand what he is saying to us here. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? If you go out and don't rock the boat, well, amen. You're probably going to go through life just fine. Verse 14, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened by what they're frightened with. Right out of Isaiah chapter 8. But listen to this, and here's where we get to our final point of of today. Verse 15, but in your hearts, everybody say, "In in your hearts. Set apart Christ as Lord. If you leave Jesus Christ in the manger... If you leave him as a young boy in a, in, a, in a temple, if you leave him as a wonder worker, if you leave him as the kindest of all men, if you leave him amidst a pantheon of other thoughts 
that say, wow, he was a religious, a, a religious marvel. Then you've missed the actual bearing of him coming to earth. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. We've got to set him apart. That word there is to be made holy. It's to consecrate. It's to sanctify something. Just like in John 17, 17. Can you put that up on the, on the screen really quickly? John 17, 17. says this. <clears throat> says, sanctify them by the truth. Sanctify them. Set them apart. Lord, this is what your will is, that you set them apart because your word is truth. Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Back in 1 Peter, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You know why I have hope in Jesus Christ? (laughs) It would take me all day to explain it fully, right? But we're talking about the one who was prophesied about. From, From before the creation of the world, there was a plan prophesied about for as long as there's been humanity, who came at the appointed time, born of a virgin, raised and walked in a pure, holy, righteous life that no one else has ever been able to accomplish, died a sinless death on the cross in our place, resurrected in glorious power, and is now seated at the throne with Him, the one who eyes blaze like fire. This is the one who I've set my heart upon, who I have put my whole trust in. What about you today? If you do not, if you're a non-believer here in this room, I ask you, I invite you to realize that this one that we have been talking about today, (laughs) this is not just a story. This is not just a baby in a manger. This is the King of all creation come to earth. And we must set Him apart as Lord. Maybe you've heard these stories all of your life and you've still never set Him apart as Lord, as the King, as the ruler of all. If He does not ordain your steps, then you have failed to set Him apart in your hearts. For those of us who have set Him apart in our hearts, we must set Him apart because we must must be sanctified by the truth. Great, you're at the point where you've accepted him, where he's no longer a baby in a manger, but he's the one whose eyes that burn like fire and he stands before you. But we must continually be sanctified by his word because his word is truth. Let me share this from the Pirkei Avot as I close. The very first thing, chapter 1, number 1, Moses received the Torah on Sinai and handed it to Joshua. Joshua to the elders. The elders to the prophets. The prophets handed it down to the men of the great assembly. This has to be handed down from each of us. We must hand it down purely to the next.